Um, good morning again. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Really grateful that you're here, um, especially if this is your first time or one of your first times visiting with us or you're in town because you're visiting family or something like that. Um, we're really grateful to have you here with us. Um, we're honored to have you. Uh, I want to say a couple things before um, we dive into looking at the passage that Sarah read so beautifully. Um, one is uh, we're in the season of Advent, which is the time we're in the, in the church we um, recognize that the world is full of darkness and we're waiting for God to come, to come again, for Jesus to come and make all things new. And we're waiting for him to come back and we're looking forward to his coming on Christmas. Uh, and we have a guide for that. Advent goes until Tuesday. So if you want to catch the last two days of this prayer guide, you know, again, better late than never. There's some out in the, in the lobby there. But on Wednesday starts Christmas and the season of Epiphany, which is all about God's word coming to us and the announcement that God is here. That's why this one's all dark and this one's all bright. You can grab those in the, uh, in the lobby as well. Is it a lobby? Narthex is an ultimate church word. That's like a top 10 church word. Like, don't, is there a Narthex out in the world outside of the church? I think it's just a church word. Do you have a Narthex? Anyone have a Narthex in their house? Um, the second thing I want to say is um, thank you on behalf of the, the staff, the ministry staff of Redeemer um, just want to say thank you um, to our family, our Redeemer family in this congregation. You've been unbelievably generous this year. And, you know, it's kind of our job to help give you what you need to go out and follow Jesus and do ministry in the world. And it's been a real joy. And I'll just say as a new person, I came in the summer. I can just definitely and my family can attest that this is a very generous people and supportive people. And it's just a privilege to do ministry with you. And so on behalf of the staff, I want to say thank you for a wonderful year and Merry Christmas. But it's not Christmas yet. Until Wednesday. So hold off on that Merry Christmas till, till we get there on Wednesday. Okay, so we're in First uh, John, as Sarah just read. And that is, if you have a, want to turn to a pew Bible, if you're the kind of person that wants to hold a Bible, it's on page 1021. Also, if you don't have a Bible or you know someone that needs a Bible, you can just take one of these. And you don't have to ask. And it's not stealing. If someone tells you, even if they have no authority to tell you that you can take it, it's yours. Okay. Um, I love and really respect people that are hyper-committed to a hobby. Um, that, it's, like it's not their job, but they're like an expert at cooking barbecue or, some, or something like that, or collecting Legos. Um, and because I just, I just love the completely unnecessary effort that it takes to be really good at a hobby. And at Christmas time, I'm very struck and just love deeply people that have epic Christmas light displays on their house. Because when I see the lights, I don't see the lights. I see in my mind's eye the person spending hours and hours and hours hanging them up, getting up high in trees. Uh, on my street, uh, on this next street over, there is someone that you can dial your radio into a radio station and it plays Christmas music and their house is in synchronization with the Christmas music. That is, it is mind-blowing. And um, it's completely unnecessary, which makes it amazing. The person absolutely did not have to do that. And should they have done that? I don't know, but they did. <laughs> and it's, what's beautiful about it is it's, it's an offering. It's, like a, it's just a gift. The person doesn't stand out there and say, you're welcome to everyone that comes by and sees their lights. But I'm saying thank you when I go by because uh, those lights are a gift. And when we turn to a place in the Bible... Anytime, whether you're, you're into the Bible, you're, you are following God, you're not, you're unsure, you're, you're skeptical, anytime in the Bible where 
someone says that God is something, not that God is like something or he does something, but he is something, it's worth our time, no matter where we're coming from, to pay attention to that and to examine that. And what John, who was a friend of Jesus, he was there during Jesus's, uh, all of his miracles, he was there um, at Jesus' death on the cross, and he was there at Jesus' resurrection. John says in this passage, what I want us to sort of meditate on together, is that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. It's not that he sends forth light or he does things that are light-like, but he is light. And his light is also a gift to us. Like the person that decorated their home just to shine this light, his light is a gift to us and a gift that he is offering to you this morning if you will receive it. And as we walk through this, I want, there's a question I want to be sort of um, you to hold in your mind as we talk through what does it mean to walk in darkness or walk in light is I want you to think about what freedom might look like for you. I think everybody in this room wants to be free. We're a freedom-loving people in, in this country. And so what, is it, what does it mean to be free? Okay. For people in the time, all throughout the times, the, the hundreds and hundreds of years that the Bible was being written over, and, and still in a lot of places in the world today, Darkness and light are huge themes because they're basically out of your control. We don't really get this because we live in artificial light all the time. It's either daytime or it feels like daytime because we have so many lights on, right? Uh, I had the privilege of traveling uh, with a dear brother, Dave Moser, to the northern India about a month ago, and um, we were visiting this hospital that, that he has helped care for and support for decades and it's in a very rural and poor place, and they're serving hundreds of people every day, this small Christian hospital, serving hundreds and hundreds of the, the poorest possible people that need health care, need eye surgeries, need to give birth to their baby safely. And uh, as we were walking around, the guy that runs the place, his name is Dr. George, sweet guy, he was saying, oh, it's so great because right now we're getting 18 hours of electricity a day. And, I was, and he was, like, really excited about that, and I was like, that seems like it's, like, six less hours than you need electricity if you're running a hospital, you know? And when we would be there, like, something, we would just be talking, and then all the lights would just go out. And everyone's just, it's totally normal, you know? Because sometimes electricity is on, sometimes the lights are on, sometimes they're not. But for us, we really have to try to be in the darkness. And so the only times that we really are bothered by darkness, unless we go out camping somewhere, is when we get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. That's a dark space that we're all familiar with. Or like when you're hanging out with people at, at night, maybe you're watching a movie, and then the lights go out. And suddenly you're plunged into this darkness, and the room that you felt very safe and comfortable in suddenly is full of dangers and terrors all around. So I want you to imagine that space. Maybe you're, um, you're having dinner with, uh, with your family or with friends or um, just having a nice dinner alone, and all the lights go out. What is that like to walk around that space in darkness? Uh, well, a couple of things come to mind for me. One is that when that happens, it's a very insecure space, right? Before, you can walk around the room with a lot of confidence, but then when the lights go out, you're hyper-cautious because you kind of think you know where that table is with the lamp on it, but you can't be totally sure, right? And so you walk around kind of like this, very slow steps, very insecure, anxious space. It's also isolating. When you're with other people and the lights are on, and you can see them, then you can be close to them. And when the lights go out, you suddenly are just, you feel alone 
What are the other people in the room doing? Are they going to mess with you now that you're in the dark, right? Are they going to lay a trap for you, right? It's easy to be suspicious when you're in, walking in darkness about the, the motives of other people. It's easy to become angry with other people. Really, walking in darkness, and I think this is part of what John is trying to get across to us, walking in darkness is a place of anxiety where your senses are heightened on taking care of yourself and protecting yourself from harm, and you're just not free to move around with confidence and safety. And really, there, there are times in reading the Bible, I go through seasons and sometimes I'm like, you know, wow, this is really, you know, powerful. And sometimes I'm like, this has nothing to do with me. And when I read it, and it is gone as soon as I, as I read it, and maybe you have seasons like that too if you, if you read the Bible. But this is one of those times where I'm reading the passage and I'm going, there's so much wisdom here about what the world that we live, because is there a better image for the way that we live our lives in the world that we live in? Is that we're walking around a dark room, and we're insecure, and we're isolated from, from, other, from other people. I mean, if you think, I'm just thinking about myself here, I'm not going to speak for you, I don't know a lot of you, but like, considering my place in the world, okay, just who I am, if you think about it in the terms of, of history, and, and geography, all the places in the world where someone could be, all the times where someone could be, socioeconomic status, all those things. I am, like, live one of the most predictable possible lives, and I'm really, just in the grand scheme of things, so safe from physical danger, right? Like, it's very unlikely that some terrible, violent fate is going to befall me. Yet, I live my life, I don't know about you, maybe you too, in a near constant state of mild anxiety and mild panic and insecurity and what might happen. I may be one of the safest people in one of the safest places in all of history, yet I feel my sense of fear and anxiety is heightened compared to others throughout the world and throughout history. Why is that? Do you feel like that? And the question for us, if we'll take this metaphor, is what does living in darkness and walking in darkness feel like for you right now? Are you always second-guessing yourself? Do you feel free to move around or do you feel constricted that you have, to, you have to keep your hands close? Are you suspicious of the people around you? Are you isolated? Are you disoriented? Uh, the season of Advent, which we're in now, the word Advent means coming. We're coming with the coming of the Lord to make all things new. It leads up to Christmas on Wednesday, and it's all about recognizing that space of longing and darkness and waiting. That the world is actually worn out from living in darkness. You know, if you, if you were walking around, if you were used to being able to see, and then suddenly you were in darkness for a long period of time, it becomes exhausting for you because your senses are so heightened and you have to do so much extra work. And really what the Bible tells us is that the world is dying for the coming of the light, for someone to turn the lights on. And it's into that darkness that Jesus comes to us and says to us and says to you this morning, I am the light of the world. That people who have dwelled in darkness have seen a light. God has shown a light on us. That God, who is light, again, he's not like light, he is light, comes to us. God with us, Emmanuel, the light, came to our darkness. And when we think about Jesus coming to a dark place, it's amazing how much he walked in darkness. 
I don't know how you feel like there are certain things in the Bible or just about God that like really resonate with you about at different times of your life or because of your story, right? One thing that always resonates with me and I feel like every time I get up to do something like preach a sermon is always in the forefront of my mind is God does not have to be close to us. He's very far away and distant and different from us, and yet he comes to us. And part of that comes from, from my story that God, just thinking about God being so far away yet so close. When Jesus came, he didn't like come down on the elevator, you know, from heaven, like ride in the back of a chariot with all these trumpets and light and explosions and all that. When he comes back the next time, it's more like that. Um, but when he came to earth, he came hidden in the deep darkness of a young woman's belly. The person that spoke the sun into existence was hidden in the darkness of Mary's body. He was held by her in that, it was warm, but it was dark. And Jesus experienced the isolation of living in darkness the alienation of living in darkness, the anxiety of living in a dark world, and the suspicion of others. And at his death on the cross, it's amazing. When Jesus was in his last moments, this is a moment that John saw with his own eyes. That's what he's saying. I saw this word. When Jesus was at his last moment, the sun stopped shining, and all around him in Jerusalem became dark, even though it was the middle of the day. And in the end, Jesus was laid in another dark belly, but this is a cold, dark belly of a tomb on a slab. He laid there in the darkness, in the pitch darkness. And it must have seemed like at that point, the light of the world has come into the world and he has been quenched by darkness. And it must have felt for John and for others like it would never be light again. And my family and I moved here from Boone. And I'm going to tell you, about February in Boone, you actually start to think it's never going to be light again either, Right? It gets dark scarily early in Boone, like 3.30 p.m. It's dark and it's cold. And there, there, there gets to be a time around like February or March where you're just like, I'm not sure if it's ever going to be light again. I'm not sure it actually ever was light to begin with. I think I might have just imagined that it used to be warm and it used to be light. And this, this amazing thing happens, and I talk about this all the time because it always blows my mind, and I used to think this is must have what it been like when Jesus came out of, the, out of the tomb and Jesus was resurrected from the dead is that first warm day when it's like 42 degrees in Boone, which is like very warm, and the sun is shining, and people are just like on campus, no pants, you know, just like no shoes, no pants, just like I was putting on my pants, but it was just too sunny. I had to get outside, right? And everyone is outside laying in grass that like had snow on it yesterday, and, they're, you know, and everyone gets sunburned because they're so ready. Like their body is craving the light. Our bodies respond to that freedom. When we've been in darkness and light shines on us, our bodies just want to go and be in it. And what God is inviting us into is to, he's inviting us into his light. And there is freedom in God's light. He wants us to be free. He wants to set you free. And that's why he calls you into the space for those who have been living in darkness to have a light to shine on us so that we're not enslaved to the darkness anymore. And to come back to that question as we start to focus in on what this means for us, what does it mean to be free? What does freedom look like 
for you, wherever you are. We, again, are people that love freedom, and we define freedom as the ability to do whatever we want to do, to make whatever choice we feel like is right for us, the pursuit of happiness. Problem is, when that is your definition of freedom, how do you know what, that what you want is good? If you care about such things as goodness, how do you know that what you want is right? Most importantly, how do you know what you want is beautiful? You, I mean, you can get dressed in a dark closet, right? And you're free to choose anything you want in there. Just whatever feels right. I wouldn't recommend it, you know? Because it's not until you come out into the light that you recognize that what you're wearing is beautiful or not. The Bible talks about a freedom that is true freedom. True freedom is not the freedom to do whatever you want. True freedom is freedom from doing whatever you want to do that which is good and beautiful and true. Because this is the kernel of everything. And like I used to, I used to preach every week and now I'm out of the rhythm. And so the whole strangeness of this ex experience that we're sharing together is very fresh to me again, that I'm standing up here and you're all quietly listening. Um, thank you, by the way. Um, <clears throat> we can talk about walking in the light and leaving in darkness and following Jesus and you know, having the light of God shine on you. And I know what will, what will be the outcome of this time, which is that you will leave this space and so will I and you will do whatever you want to do. Like, that's not a cynical statement. That's just who we are. We do what we think is right and best. And what Jesus is doing, what God's light is doing, is calling us into a freedom that is so much better than what we want. Following Jesus, if it's real, has to have some practical difference to our life. Part of what was beautiful, again, when that time that I spent with, with Dave, which is a treasure in the north of India, as I went going, I wonder what it's like for Christians to be less than 1% of the population. And I'm gonna be honest, in my mind, I had a very romantic notion of what that would be like. And I'm, gonna, I'm, and if, I'm just gonna tell you, it it's, uh, wasn't super encouraging. Because are people that have given their lives to like, as doctors to serve the poor, and they just didn't have this, the light of God and the countenance on their face. They were really, it was really hard. But I, what I saw there is God's light, when God is described in the Bible, he's described as a light that if you come close to it, it absolutely obliterates you and destroys everything. God made you and has a role for you to play in the world that is good and beautiful and true and glorifies him. And his number one concern, and this doesn't matter, like I, sound, I feel like I'm getting old when I say this. His number one concern isn't whether you're excited about doing that or not. <laughs> Got an amen from Bev Moser on that one. Thank you. <clears throat> 
And I just, I, I want the, the window of my heart to be open long enough to hear and to believe that God has something that is better for me than the thing that I want to do. And that is what he is offering to us. Jesus has made a way into God's light where he is everything. Because at the end, all the things that we want are just different ways of saying we actually want to be with God. And we just don't know it. And we can't understand or get our minds around that. And that's what he's freeing us to. That's life in God's light. And you may be here and you're a remarkably sacrificial and kind person that does a lot for your community. But you're like, you know, the stuff with God, Jesus, I mean, I just don't need that to be like a great person. And it's true. You don't. And you're just like, I am going to determine my own destiny. And the rest of us that are here might have a lot of talk about following Jesus, but deep down we also think that we need to determine our own destiny. And the reality is that we both need to be free from that. And could it be that what is plaguing you is that you're just committed to being enough all on your own? And Jesus is smiling and the, the light of his face is smiling and shining on you and offering you a beautiful gift to be free from that and to walk in his light. He's inviting you to come and to see the way that he wants to light up the way for you so you can actually see a path that you can actually walk on and do some actual good, to actually be able to tell where you're going and move confidently in that way. I un underestimate the fact that the Bible says, here's a way to live that gives life to yourself and the people around you. God even says that his word is a light for our path so we don't fall down the stairs, right? Or step on Legos. And there is a beautiful warning in here to myself and, and to you to beware of believing whatever you want to believe. And saying, yeah, I like A, B, and C, but I'm not sure about, about D or E. And there's two ways that God frees us, and this is where we're going to bring this down on. God frees us, if we walk in his light, to be honest. Honest with ourselves and honest with others. What are you afraid for other people to know about you? If you've ever been in a place that's dark and the lights come on, it's a very disorienting experience. I was talking with John Bourgeois about this yesterday. If you've ever been at the bar when they turn the lights on, it's a terrifying moment, okay? Um, because the, the, and maybe that's just me. Maybe that's not you, okay? No shame either way. But the world that you created, it was dispersed quickly when the lights, when the lights come on in, in the bar. Let's just leave it at that. Maybe you've been at a middle school dance when the lights came on. Again, very terrifying experience. Um, middle school is tough enough. Why do we got to have the dark dance, you know? Um, or maybe you're wa you've been watching a movie with your, with, you know, with your love interest, and then you come in, your mom comes in and turns on the lights. Again, terrifying, terrifying experience. And that's, I think, really to come into God's light is like that is there is so much fear of exposure. And what if in that very moment of exposure, it happened and you weren't afraid of being seen? Like, oh, hey, mom, just watching a movie. That would be a beautiful thing, to be able to, to live in a dark place as if it were the light. 
what Jesus offers in this passage, when, when John says, if we say we don't have sin, if we say that we're just, we love God and we love our neighbor and we know how to walk in the way of love, if we say that we'd have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. But if we say, if we confess our sin, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. What he's saying is you can be completely honest with having absolutely no fear of exposure or rejection, and that is freedom. The freedom to confess without fear of rejection, a willingness to admit that you need something, that you need something from God, that you are not enough on your own. That's exactly what Jesus calls us to do. And if you want to know, if that sounds like slavery to you, ask someone in recovery whether true freedom is acting like you have everything together and you can take care of this, or if true freedom is actually saying, I have a need and I'm not strong enough to do this on my own. They will tell you unequivocally the answer to that question. Complete honesty and total acceptance. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. And the last thing is this, the freedom to give and to receive freely. All throughout this passage, John says the same words over and over again which I do, so I really respect that, you know? Like, it takes me five or six times before I've said something, that before I realize that I've said it. You can ask my spouse, who her motto for life is, say something once, why say it again, you know? I said it once. But he repeats the same words over and over again, and one of those words is fellowship. And when you read that word, like he's saying you have fellowship with God, have fellowship with each other, that word just means community, that walking in God's light means having community with God and community with each other. And don't we love that word? That's a good word, community. It's like our favorite word. I have no idea what to do with it, right? No idea how to do it, no idea what it's like, no idea what it feels like. It's like, I have a friend that went to Aruba. I'm like, that word just sounds nice to say, Aruba. I have no idea what it's like. You know, I have an idea, I guess, but I don't know what it feels like or how to be part of that. Diamonds sounds like a cool word. Yeah. We talk about community all the time, but we're lonelier than ever, and more disconnected and suspicious of each other. But when we live in God's light, when we allow God's light to shine on us, this beautiful thing happens because we not only see God and see his welcome embrace, but we see each other. And when we're honest about each other's needs, we give where there's need. And we receive for our need. And so my question is, are you lonely? God is inviting you into the light because he wants to be near you. And that sounds like a letdown of an offer, and I don't know why, and I wish it didn't. To say that God offers you himself. I was thinking about the five love languages last night, which I don't really know what to think about the five love languages. Feels, oh wait, I'm trying to remember this. I was talking with my wife about this last night. She said it sounds like a, a, like a passive-aggressive way to get people to do what you want, you know? My love language is gift-giving. You know? But then it gets real weird, right? Because I'm like, my love language is physical touch. And you're like, oh. Um, <clears throat> But I started thinking about them. They're what? Gift-giving, quality time, acts of service, physical touch, words of affirmation. God does all those things. He is about all those things. He even came to us to lay hands on us in a safe and healing way. And that is beautiful. And God is inviting you into the light because he wants to be near you. 
And he's inviting us into the light because he wants us to be near each other, forgiving one another. Do you notice lonely people? What's great is if you notice them, you get to solve their loneliness by asserting yourself into their life. (laughs) We're friends now. You seem lonely. Um, And and, and this is what we're going to do next week. Um, And we'll we'll end with this. Next week, um, we have one service for Christmas, and next week is a celebration of Christmas. If you've been waiting for Christmas music, it's coming on on next Sunday, okay? Hey, hey. Um, it was much rejoicing. And uh, this is what we're going to do. Before we take communion next week, because this table, when we come to it, is a place where people come to have all things in common before the Lord Jesus. What we're going to do is we're going to pass out some slips of paper. And on Christmas Day, since we're all together, if you got more than you need, you can just write down on that piece of paper. I got $1,000 more than I need right now. And if you got a need, I have a dental bill. Or someone on my street, their car broke down. I'd really like to bless them. You just write that down too. And then we're going to link you up face to face. It's not going to be a church thing, not going to be a tax write-off thing. It's just going to be a you giving and receiving a gift. And here's, here's my suspicion, though. I'm going to have deacons coming up to me after this. Um, here's... Here's my suspicion, is that we will have at least 10 times as many people that are trying to give than people that are trying to receive. Until we, which is beautiful in one way, but until we get to the place where there are many of us that recognize that we have a need and are willing to ask for it, as there are people that are willing to give from their strength, then we're not walking in the light. The darkness is not dark to God. The psalm says that the darkness is is as light with him. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He is not confused. He is not suspicious. He invites you to walk with him in the light. Let's pray.